right, welcome back, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Samantha Zessi. Yeah, my name is Lamoy George Phillips the first. And this is masculinity. So it's been really interesting to see the wave of guys being involved in the Me Too campaign and to see men speaking out about issues surrounding gender inequality in general. And as we've talked about, you know, the concept of woke feminism and men writing that fine line of feeling for the people in their lives who have survived abuse or trauma at the hands of a man, but also having a hard time modifying their own behaviors is a complex situation that we can only try and make sense of through conversation. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess that's what makes this concept of allyship so interesting but multi-layered because on the one hand gender equality is uh it's a men's issue just as much as it is a woman's issue correct when we when we take a look at equal pay for women we should also be looking at the types of jobs we as a society consider acceptable for men to have when we address sexual domestic and intimate partner violence it's super important to note that while women outnumber men as victims of said crimes, there are a large number of men who are victims as well, and it's up to us, all of us, to create a society in which it is encouraging for everyone to come forward and seek out support when they, he, she, we, have been violated. And there are layers to this allyship business, right? Because I read recently that there can be different forms of allyship, allies for self-interest, allies for altruism. I didn't know this. I, it's, it's great. I'm so excited to get into it. Allies for social justice, right, which is who our illustrious guest is today. And he looks um, debonair and handsome. <laughs> it's all get out. Oof, that tweed jacket is hot. Okay, um, um, so now we're going to get into those different forms in a bit with a little bit of help from Hudson Taylor. Um, so Hudson Taylor is the founder of the organization Athlete Ally, uh, which is dedicated to making space for LGBTQ athletes, from high school athletes to Olympiads, if I'm correct, um, and just doing really awesome work. So Hudson, thank you so much for being here, for just coming to talk to us about your work today. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Um, so I was lucky enough to attend the event where we met uh, the Center for, uh, for the Center for the Study for men and masculinities at Stony Brook put on this event for activists and researchers. And so it was really inspiring to hear the work that your organization does, but specifically to hear like your approach. You had like very specific tiers of how you, um, you implemented this. But before we get to there, to that, I just want to hear a little bit about like what Athleta is. I mean, I already know, but Rumoy <laughs> wants to hear, no so idea. yeah. So I'll uh, I'll begin at the beginning, mm-hmm. I suppose. So I started Athlete Ally now seven years ago. Wow. Uh, just had our seven seventh birthday, actually, like last week. Oh, officially! Congrats. Happy birthday! Thank you. Um, and yeah, so uh, you know, our main work is obviously to end homophobia and transphobia in sports and to uh, mobilize athletic communities to champion LGBT equality outside of sports, but. Um, sort of my origin of doing this work came out came about in a really unexpected way. I was a wrestler my entire life, so I've started wrestling when I was six, and um, loved my sport, loved so much of what it gave me and taught me. But there was also a lot of things that I needed to unlearn for my sport. Sure. Uh, and I was unique in that I was this very accomplished wrestler, but I was also uh, a theater major, you know, I was that kid warming up to show tunes, and um, so so I had two very different lives. One which granted permission uh, to forms of expression and um, 
exploration and, and the other which very much restricted them. And that juxtaposition kind of opened my eyes and made me kind of take a hard look at uh, what I was doing on my team and in my capacity as a team leader to make my athletic community a more welcoming one. Um, and so the catalyst for Athlete Ally really came about my senior year. Uh, I started my senior season ranked, I think, number two in the country in my weight class, oh. you know, training to win a national title. Um, but I, I started the season wearing an LGBT equality sticker on my headgear, uh, mainly because I thought it would look cool, but uh, also that it would start a conversation that really wasn't happening uh, in, in the athletic community that, that much at the time. And as a result of that sticker, um, a lot of things happened. One, it, it started a lot of conversations with my teammates. Um, two, one of my coaches pulled me aside and was like, you know, Hudson, would you be willing to do an interview about why you care? I said, sure, of course, no problem. Uh, I would find out later that that coach of mine was gay, and that he, but he wasn't out yet. Um, wow. And so he was sort of seeing me have these conversations and not engaging himself. Um, but then the third thing that happened was I did that interview. And I think one of the things that's still most important to me in all of this work is that you know, progress doesn't occur unless we have difficult dialogue. So when I did that interview, I asked them if they would share my email address with the article. Like, let's debate, you know, let's, let's talk about this stuff. And I really just wasn't ready for the response. Um, about two days after that article. How old are you again? I'm 31. No, how old are you uh, that, at that I point? Was, uh, senior in college, so that's a lot of interesting you. emails you're getting yeah, as a senior in college. Exactly, um, and you know, and in a sport that's not that popular, right? Like yeah. it's not one of the marquee sports. But um, it is a hyper masculine sport as well. So. We can we can definitely <laughs> try to try to get into that a bit, but um, but essentially, I had over two thousand emails. Oh, from closeted athletes from across the country who who wrote to me and said, you know, I just I just read this article and I'm gonna try out for my wrestling team. I'm, I'm going to go into the locker room. Um, a lot of, you know, first time quote unquote allies saying, hey, I'm going to support my gay brother or my lesbian sister, or my transgender friends. Um, and so that was the moment of like, wow, if I could do that by wearing a sticker in a sport that people don't really care about. If I had been a football player or a professional athlete or a team or a league, that impact would be exponential so that be that was the beginning of athlete ally really saying like look we have to be having these conversations and we have to be intentionally working to change the culture of sports and the conduct of, of its constituents okay so one of my favorite television shows of all time is going to be friday night lights uh texas forever Coach taylor absolutely. Coach taylor clear eyes clear hearts clear can't, eyes can't lose hearts, can't yeah. lose um, but that, what that knowledge for me, okay. <laughs> one of the best shows of the 2000s, easily. What that show did so well was it, it whether it meant to or not, it, it really it communicated locker room culture very well. And uh, locker room culture is very masculine and it's very, there is a, a sense of quote unquote brotherhood, which is real. Um, you are brothers, you are in a fraternity almost in that locker room. But there is also this nature of exclusivity and bullying and so on and so forth. I understand your experience like being in theater but also being an athlete and having the that as your platform to stand on but where did you get the confidence whether it's in the locker room or whether it's in kind of the athletic sphere to stand up and be so confident about that mm -hmm. and make those yeah um so I, I for, it definitely wasn't 
something that happened overnight. It was a long, slow process of uh, getting educated, of building confidence. Um, you know, as an athlete, like you are given cultural capital, right? You are given Absolutely. privilege. And, male athlete especially. And, it, you know, when I was in sixth grade, I won nationals for the first time in my sport, right, at my age group. Mm-hmm. So at a very early age, I was like, okay, I'm like – I'm good at this. I'm good at this. <laughs> and and when you're when you're in that, you know, like sport is a competitive reward structure, right? It's it teaches its its participants to judge each other, you know, not only your opponents but your peers, right? Who's varsity, who's junior varsity? And and the things that we're measuring uh, in terms of the quality of someone is not how they treat people. It's not the language that they use. It's, it's results oriented. It's results, right? And so because I had those results, throughout my entire athletic career that helped make make me feel it, it was like permission granting in a way it was right. like well I don't, I don't really care what other people think uh this is what I believe to be right this is what I think sport should look like and I'm gonna do what I can where I can to make that the, the reality sure okay so then how do you as athlete ally okay, how do you demonstrate the need for the service that athlete ally provides to various institutions like it seems like they'd be focused on winning games and you know not necessarily worried about social justice yeah because one of the like a two-part thing that i want to add as well is like you saw the need and you saw the responsibility um like in your own life having kind of that, that dichotomy of theater and and sport and so you took it upon yourself like you really became responsible for that which is i mean if i'm being real admirable but then how do you kind of like instill that in another people? It's a daily struggle for sure. Um, you know, I, I think there, there are many reasons why sport continues to be less inclusive, right? And so a lot of the way that I think about this is if we can first identify and understand the obstacles, then we can start to create strategies to overcome them, right? So, um, you know, some of the biggest obstacles for our work is that sport is sex segregated, that it teaches uh, a gender binary. Um, and so as a result, like, you know, sport as a socialization mechanism teaches masculinity and femininity in very, in very narrowly defined ways, right? Sure. Um, so that's like, we're going to have to put that to the side because that's, you know, until we rethink the structure and the rule set of sport, um, some of these issues are being taught because of the rules, because of the way in which sport is structured. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, the things that I think are w- more within our control, I mean, I think, um, you know, conformity continues to be a major obstacle. Um, you know, I think athletes want to be liked by their peers. Um, and so if we can change, uh, you know, make if we can make sportsmanship synonymous with allyship, then conformity errs on the side of action. Beautiful. Like right now it's, you conform to stay silent. You conform to laugh at a homophobic or a sexist joke. But if we can change that narrative, um, I think we very quickly can start to change behavior. Um, And then the the other piece of this is I think context. Um, Growing up as a wrestler, because of the culture of my sport, I didn't have any openly gay teammates, right? And so as a result, when you hear the language, when you see the behavior, you're thinking, well, 
does this impact me? Does this impact my team? If I don't see anybody visibly who's impacted by this language or behavior. And, and so, you know, in 1990, the av average age of a person coming out was 26. Today, that average age is 14, mm. you know? So the context is growing. I think the, the comfort level with engaging on LGBT issues, on social justice, we're obviously seeing an enormous expansion of athlete activism across the country. Um, these are all, all, all sort of indicators that things are moving in the right direction. But in terms of like, okay, how do we get people to actually engage and feel comfortable in more granular sense? Um, you know, a lot of it is trying to create alignment on our core values, right? What are the things that we believe in as athletes, as coaches, as people who are fans of their sport? Um, and if we can connect the dots between someone's core value, between their dominant identity and these principles of, uh, of respect, inclusion, and equality, then it's no longer, our goal is to not make it about what's right or what's wrong, yeah. but instead by having a conversation about who are we as athletes, as leaders, as people, as human beings. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of ways in which we try to frame those conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, in any environment, we're trying to get alignment on why you should care and what you should do about it. And so that why is gonna be framed a little differently for each audience member, um, and the what, will change as well. Before we go any further, uh, you're a cisgendered white male, correct? Yeah, correct. So what is, what is for just the common listener, what is allyship like? What does the animation of allyship mean? What does that look like for you or for them, for these listeners? Yeah, um, so I think we've, we've approached the concept of allyship not as a uh, identity, but as a philosophy. So if I think about uh, the principles of allyship, it's really a series of actions that a person either does or does not take, regardless of how they identify. Um, you know, w we find people who, who might be wonderful allies to the LGBT community, but they're not to communities of color or to, to women, right? And so um, that's a failure of, of allyship, right? So we try to dr walk back and say, okay, well, very tangibly, what are the things that you can be doing to help dismantle any system of oppression or discrimination? Right? Because everybody can do something. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the second thing that I think we're always trying to think through is that, that defining what we call the ally commitment curve. So everybody is somewhere on their journey to better understanding. To, they're, they're somewhere on their journey to understanding their privilege and what they can do in response to it. Um, our job is to help define for that person what is the next step they feel comfortable taking to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that not every athlete is going to be an outspoken activist, as much as I would love for that to be the case, but trying to identify where that person is on that commitment curve and, and help them take that next step is really central to what we're trying to do. No, that's that's very like a fantastic, like practical and pragmatic approach in the sense that a lot of us uh, who have an opinion would like those who don't share the, our opinion to just jump the ship or jump the curve and get right to where we're at and just get there. And that's our expectation. But that is a horrendously inhumane expectation. Uh, but in this sense, by developing this almost this curve mentality and like a step by step process, right, like a ladder rung by rung. Um, it's, it's a lower expectation, but with an, a greater opportunity for success. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think 
I think there will always probably be a spectrum of opinion on most social justice issues. But if Which we, is not a bad thing. Yeah, right? Pe- people have their own perspectives and opinions. However, if we can shift the entirety of that spectrum a foot closer to equality or, you know, th- that world we want to create, the world is very different. Yeah. People's lived experiences are very different. Yeah. And so for for us, the challenge is I think a lot of um, organizers and, and people working in these spaces, their audience isn't always the people who need to hear the message the most, right? Who need, like, I want to reach that athlete who doesn't think they have LGBTQ people in their life, that they mm-hmm. don't think they should or can care, and just get them to take that next step on that ladder. Um, and if we can get everybody in those positions to take that next step, um, you know, hopefully our, our sporting environment really changes. So um, I have a question actually about the implementation of that because, you know, I know that I remember from the presentation that you talked about um, education policy and advocacy as the ways that you structure your approach for Athlete Ally. And kind of going back to this notion, well, to this fact really of the segregation of sports, you know, like, so what i what i what i think i remember from the way that you kind of approach like when you're going to locker rooms and when you're doing the training you know there's a conversation to be had about gender there's a conversation to be had about sexual orientation there's a conversation to be had about sexual identity so like the bare bones of people implementing the 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 training that athlete like what does that look like like is it like how do you like, do you really go step by step? Like, I mean, what does it look like really is what I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so when we're working with athletes or coaches, typically the framing of the conversation goes in three phases. Uh, the story of me, the story of us, the story of now. And that story of me is going to change depending on who's facilitating the discussion. Mm-hmm. But really, it's trying to root this conversation in somebody's personal experience. Um, so, you know, the last four years, I've had the opportunity to work with every incoming NBA player. So I, I get to do Excuse the, me. yeah, <laughs> uh, I get to work with the, all the NBA players on LGBT respect and inclusion. Excuse me. How yeah. How did I miss that part of the, I was so <laughs> NBA. tell me that. Yeah. I, 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 I thought I knew. I, I, oh, wow. Um, That's awesome. So I'm, I'm stepping away. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously my part of it is talking about my journey to doing this work, but then um, Jason Collins, who was, yeah. um, you know, Brooklyn net, uh, the yeah. first active out male athlete in one of the big four professional, leagues, professional yeah. sports. Um, he shares his story and experience. So the first piece of this is rooting the conversation in like a person's actual experience. And then step two is the, the story of us. So that's really trying to get alignment on where are we? What are the current obstacles and issues? Why aren't you more vocal? Um, what is the language and behavior that you see that is not inclusive? Why do you think that's occurring? Um, and so that's, there's a lot of different directions that can take depending on who's in the room. Um, and then the third phase is the story of now. Okay, you know who we are. You know what the issues are. Uh, let's talk about what you can do about it. Uh, and so that is where we get really granular and prescriptive to say, okay, step one, like, like get better educated on that thing you feel least comfortable talking about. Step two, like become more conscious of your language. Don't make assumptions. Don't use heteronormative language. Uh, so kind of running through uh, all those things. Um, and then from there, it, it really branches out to, you know, what forms of 
visible action do you feel comfortable taking, right? Mm -hmm. For some, that's taking to social media and sending a tweet. For some, that's wearing a a, a wristband or, you know, like sure. it looks very different depending on the athlete or, or coach we're working with. But that's typically how our trainings are structured. One of the things that, you know, we want to have, we one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because of Athlete Ally being an amazing organization and like the work you do is so poignant and directed. And I also think that it's, it's really could be a model for like so many different forms of allyship, you know, and we're here talking about masculinity. The The whole point of the show is to to create masculine, I mean, to create gender equality as a societal problem rather than as a woman's issue. Right. And I really feel like, you know, kind of like paralleling or basically taking the approach of athlete ally and having it per, like just pervade through gender equality would be super, super useful, you know? And I think one of the things that you said that is, is huge is like talking about it in a, in a very, um, like the story of me, right? Like people don't pay attention until in this is in their own backyard. So I just, I wonder, right? Like in your own personal life, if you don't mind sharing, what does it look like for you to be an ally personally? You know what I'm saying? And like, what is that like for you? Like, how do men out there become the ally without necessarily saying, thinking that it does something to their manhood or their masculinity or whatever? Uh, that's actually, I think, a really difficult question. You know, I think it, I think it's, um, so much of this work is like having to go on your own personal journey Right. And like as much as we could talk about the best practices and the policies that should be in place and the things we want people to do until they look inward and like start to <laughs> think through who they are, yeah. what they want their legacy to be, um, like their culpability in so many <laughs> egregious things that are happening in our communities. Or the nuanced uh, things that happen. Yeah. Or or the, or the nuanced things. Sure. I think actually probably. um Absolutely. I mean, when we're working with athletes, whether they're fourth graders or professional athletes, we'll ask, you know, how many of you in the last week have heard somebody say that's so gay? Right. About 95% of the hands go up regardless of the age group. Second question, how many of you, when you heard that, heard someone speak out against it? Every hand goes down, right? And so there is still um, a culture of apathy on LGBT issues. Um, and I would just say, you know, in our work, and I think in in terms of how we're thinking about applying this, it, like despite all the good progress that's happening, we still have a crisis of allyship. I mean, I think the majority of the athletes that we work with are LGBT identified, right? The the, the mm -hmm. most vocal, passionate people are still those who are directly impacted right. by a system of discrimination, right? The athletes who have been taking a knee up until relatively recently have been predominantly athletes of color. Right. We still don't have male athletes having the back of female athletes and talking about equal pay. So, you know, despite the good that's happening, I think we still have a lot of work to do to get people to be better allies to each other. Right. We're it's still very self-interested and like I'm a, I'm going to speak out when it impacts my friends or that's my right. family. Right. But how do I engage on things that are happening globally or or you know, with people who I don't interact with on a daily basis. So, 
Um, so when this starts at a young age, when I talk, when sports happens at a young age, you you mentioned coaches, right? And coaches are the gatekeepers of the locker room, like Coach Taylor. Like that's that's the ideal perfect coach, right? Um, but that isn't every coach, and a lot of these coaches are supplemental father figures, and a lot of these coaches are supplemental just male figureheads. And again, they are the gatekeepers of the, those locker rooms. Is there like tailored work specific to coaches, and what does that look like? Sure. So, coaches are so so important. Um, my coaches were like father figures to me. So, um, and I assume that's the case for so many athletes. Um, I think the things that we're looking for for coaches is uh, first and foremost, like one, define your core values. So, who, what do you stand for? Right. Who, what, what do you expect of your athletes um, and making sure that those core values are intentionally LGBT inclusive. Right. I think a lot of times we'll see non-discrimination policies and we'll see these codes of conduct, but they don't go they don't say the words. Right. And, and because it's not assumed that a coach is talking about uh, a, a, an LGBT athlete, we want them to say the words yeah, they're being um, theoretical you mean yeah or like you know for instance my um my coaches were great but you know they made it very clear that i could talk to them if i ever had an issue with a girlfriend they did not say the words that i could ever talk to them if i had an issue with a boyfriend right and while that didn't impact me for that lgbt athlete in the room those words are not being said and so the assumption is that it's not a welcoming space, right? So we're looking for um, defining the line on day one, right? Really being explicit about the standards that a coach is gonna hold their athletes um, to. We're looking for the proactive policies that will sort of form the foundation of that culture. Um, we're looking for a, what a coach can do to make a consistent commitment. So I think this is where uh, there's a lot of challenges because, you know, we know that that locker room language is happening every single day. And I think because it's so normalized, so many coaches don't feel the need to intervene. Um, so how do we develop a culture where coaches are intervening every single time they hear the identity of a group of people used as the basis of an insult, right? How do we get coaches to not assume that all of their athletes are heterosexual, or, or cisgender, right? Um, so I think a lot of coaches still assume wrongly uh, who, who, who their constituents are, who their athletes are. Um, you know, we try, to coach we try to coach coaches on how to have organic, authentic conversations. So, you know, the thing, I think everybody who wants to do more kind of still struggles with like, well, how do I start the conversation? How do I go there? And so one of the things we help athletes with is say, look, look at the media. Every single day there's a different issue happening in sports that you can use as a talking point with your team. Um, you know, Cleveland Indians are, are now finally changing their, mat, their, their logo. Oh. Um, you know, like, let's talk about that. Why, what do you all think about that? And just actually using current events to have a uh, proactive conversation because I, I think that's where you then like like so much of of I think the culture is is about perception versus reality right and and if we're not doing our work to change that perception for the better then you are culpable for and you're responsible for any perceived discrimination or, or lack of inclusion so a lot of <coughs> locker rooms uh, 
are incredibly masculine. And I wonder, from your experience, you know, the idea of, of initial pushback versus a later, like, acceptance from athletes. Like, so initial pushback would be like, man, la, 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 la to at some point where like a, a switch flips and then they become more empathetic and sympathetic and understanding and then bring their own personal selves into the conversation. I think I think a lot of times we have, we're a long way from where we want to be. You know, if you look back at the, let's talk professional athletes, I'd say in 2008 or nine, there was a, a lot of athletes who were getting in trouble for the use of homophobic slurs, right? It was happy, it was, it was, something that was happening more frequently. And and then over the course of a couple of years the the education started to improve. So therefore athletes became more conscious of the things they were saying. Mm. However, when you actually ask an athlete, well how do you feel about having an openly gay athlete in your locker room? Right? And we actually talk about, hey, would you be willing to have that athlete come to the after party with their partner? Right? There is still some very tangible, real breakdowns in the kinds of cultures we're looking to 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 create. Mm-hmm. You know, I think most athletes who are high performing understand that sport is a meritocracy. Right? They understand that they want to have the best teams possible, and that means they need to have a diverse and inclusive team. Sure. Um, however, when you try to extend that to how we treat each other off the field, <laughs> off the court, yeah. in our daily lives. Yeah. Um, I think there's still still a lot of hard work to be done. Like what I always think about in terms of exclusion is how short-sighted it is, right? And I think that what you're pointing to in terms of off the court and like just brings to mind the kind of difference that you can make in sports. I think one of the things you said when I when we were at the at the presentation in November was that, you know, sports is fully created. Everything about it is something is is human made, and so it's really. I mean, it can you be used as an opportunity to really create. It brings so many people together. It's like, it's almost like neutral ground in a way. Well, or at least it can be perceived that way, right? At, at least these days. And so, I don't know. I just I I I I love what you just said for that reason. And um, I I just in terms of allyship and what it looks like to be an ally who is for justice rather than for self-interest like protecting those around them or making themselves feel good I think I mean I just really think that sports can be a huge agent in that which I'm I mean it seems like you might kind of have figured out also (laughs) (laughs) I mean I I get really radical on you but you know if I think about sport 200 years from now Right. Like the NBA is less than 100 years old. So it's a it's a billion dollar business that's less than 100 years old. So the things that seem so concrete and written in stone are really not that old. I mean, especially the evolution for for women and girls in sport. I mean, we're still not that far away from women being gender tested routinely at the Olympics, right? So there's like, there's really, uh, the policing of gender is still, there's like really ugly things that are still happening in and through sports, but if we, but there has been progress, there has been change, right? Catherine Switzer was the first woman to run uh, the Boston Marathon just 50 years ago, right? So if we imagine sport 200 years from now, I think you have a far more fluid, 
structure, you have a, a more inclusive rule set, um, you allow people with physical disabilities to play sport with able-bodied people, right? There's no reason why we can't redefine how we think about sport. And then I think by extension, the values that, that those activities teach its yeah. participants. Um, you know, we, we continue to have, like, I also think that sport has this global ripple effect, right? Like, there's a lot of uh, some of the, a lot of the top female executives are former athletes, right? So like we know that that sport has good sort of pro-social outcomes for for those who get to participate in it. Uh, we know that it's it's a good bonding experience, right? The Sunday is. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, the Super Bowl oh, is, yeah. is a, right. is, is a right. <laughs> I was like, what's happening, what's happening Sunday? Sunday? <laughs> what's happening Sunday? No. Um, and yet, because of the inequalities in sport, those inequalities ripple throughout society, right? Because the female athletes aren't paid equally, neither are the executives or women in general. Um, you know, I, I was, I was like speaking at a middle school the other day and I was trying to like ask them, what are the inequalities that they see? And, um, the, the girls volleyball team was saying, you know, we practice in this gym every single day. It's our last day of practice and we're getting kicked out of the gym for the first day of, you know, baseball practice or like, mm. you know, like, so there are still these really hmm. clear cut ways in which sport is not treating men and women and, and boys and girls equally. Um, and so I think if we can, if we can rethink sport we can rethink the the rules the structure the the cultural values that we're teaching in and through sports um you know the world would be a very different place i think a lot of parents uh use sport to like be a secondary education for their kids and a lot of a lot of parents would say that you know sport teaches their boys how to be better young men um or better men uh in air quotes um and in a sense learning whether they know it or not what we're calling masculinity with the K, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that isn't necessarily the the responsibility, or uh, yeah, the responsibility isn't on the kids; it's on the parents. So I'm wondering, do you get a lot of pushback from certain parents, and if so, how do you navigate those waters? Yeah, that's. I think that's an area that um, continues to be a big challenge for us. I mean, the, the majority of our work has traditionally been happening at the college and professional level. Okay. And so at those spaces, we can be very specific about everything. Uh, the younger we go, the more parents like start to put up roadblocks for yeah. these, these conversations. Um, you know, I was speaking, I took, I did a week of, uh, speaking at middle schools in Sarasota, Florida. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, every kid needed to get a permission slip signed by their parents in order to even hear me speak. And, you know, when I go and, and work with a group of, of students or athletes, I'm really just talking about like principles of respect, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm doing like the most basic, like, Hey, golden rule. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, wow. so, yeah. so I think parents are a really, really tough one. Um, but what I would say is that if a parent has an athlete, has a kid who's in sports at a young age, chances are they're also tuning in to the professional athletes sure. on the weekends, right? So if we can get our our biggest athletes to be saying, I actually, I care about LGBT equality and you should too. Um, you know, I, I think that has the ability to change 
the opinions and the perspective of more parents than anything else. Well, I mean, this is amazing. I feel like I want to continue talking to you for hours on end about this. Um, I do want to just say thank you for doing the work that you do because it's it's true. uh, It's a social justice allyship. You know, it's not self-interest. It's not, I mean, you're essentially a white dude. You could go on and do whatever, and you're really... You it you took matters into your own hands and you're you're doing what needs to be done because you saw a need that needed to be to be met and like that is exactly the kind of leadership that we need to see if we really want to see change and I think that one of the thing one of the things you said about sport looking different in two hundred years is not hap- it, like that wouldn't happen by accident you know and I think that's important to say because people think that progress is like oh well you know as time moves on that no it's because people are actively taking steps to alter the course of history you know and I think and I just you know I really do want to just express my gratitude to understand the effects that you're having on locker rooms whether it's on the professional level which is hella cool (laughs) (laughs) or whether it's on you know the high the JV football team in Sarasota, Florida. That's incredible. Um, So for more people to learn about what you're doing or Mm -hmm. find out more about what you're doing, where do they go? What do they read? Where do they find you? They find us at athleteally.org, all the good social medias, you know, Twitter, Facebook. Just look us up at Athlete Ally. Um, We have a lot of exciting things happening in the coming year. Um, So I know super briefly I'll kind of – show you the the master plan a little bit right so you mentioned uh education policy and advocacy right Mm -hmm. uh on the education side we're actually starting to do more k-12 through work um and so what that looks like for us is actually building an online curriculum for coaches right so ultimately geography is a big barrier to this work Mm -hmm. so we're trying to build online resources to eliminate that barrier Um, On the policy side, we're starting to rank and report the LGBT policies of college athletic departments. So actually putting a name and a number to where athletic departments match up on their LGBT policies. Um, So we started with 65 D1 schools and just trying to grow that out to try to hit all 3,000 eventually, but uh, that'll that'll take us some time. Um, And then on, on our athlete activism work, Uh, It's really trying to connect with the state-based LGBT organizations who are trying to push back against RIFRA legislation or anti-trans bathroom bills or or on the good side, you know, trying to promote, uh, to trying to pass non-discrimination ordinances. And then we're trying to connect uh, teams, leagues, and athletes to those state-based groups to help them move the needle. Um, So if you're listening and you want to get more involved, definitely check us out at Athlete Ally, but... If you have any connection to sport, like let us know. Call your old coach or PE teacher. Ask them what they're doing on LGBTQ issues. Um, and the other very specific ask I would have for anybody is pick three people in your life to start this conversation with. You know, this has been an amazing, super illuminating conversation. And uh, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to comment, send us a couple, you know, tweets posts like say what you feel about this and say specifically how we can help or even if you disagree maybe we can start some dialogue and actually you know move the needle so you can find us at masculinity pod on twitter that's masculinity with a k always masculinity podcast on 
Facebook and our email is masculinitypodcast at whoistheo.com. My name is Samantha Nzessi. Yo, my name is Ramoy George Hope the first. And this has been Masculinity. Ciao. Peace.